If there was ever an appropriate time for that intro song, it is this particular podcast which goes into time travel. And what has happened will happen and maybe never happened. So buckle up and prepare to blast off on another epic episode of the Hyper Anomalous Esoteric Research Organization podcast also known as Hero Paranormal. My name is Ryan, the anomalous ambassador of the airwaves, bringing you an epic episode today. I am broadcasting from just south of Area 51 at the base of La Madre Mountain. And if you haven't had a chance to head on over to HeroParanormal.com, you're missing out. You are missing out on a ton of content and uh, no, no offense to those who are on the free feed here. I just appreciate your listenership. But there's so much more over there at HeroParanormal.com. You can also access that at Patreon. Just look for Hero Paranormal. And if you're listening via YouTube, do me the solid. Like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Although I will most likely never be monetized on YouTube for a ton of reasons. The truth being one of them. If you like, share, and subscribe, you'll help me break through the algorithm of control. The shadow ban is real. Okay then, Shazam! You know the movie, where Sinbad played a genie? Well, apparently you don't. Although, many people claim to have seen this movie. Many claim they bought the videotape, the VHS, by MCA complete with the FBI warning on it, not to uh, copy it. You're all wrong. Everybody's wrong. The movie isn't real. Apparently, there was no film called Shazam ever made in the 90s. And Sinbad never played a genie in a movie either. They are calling it the Mandela Effect, an unusual phenomenon where a large number of people remember something happening different. To how it actually happened. But how could so many people be so wrong? Many have shared what they view as symptoms of a timeline, timeline shift, where technology goes buzzy, you hear strange sounds in your ears, the streetlights near you might go out, perhaps you lose a little time on your watch or devices, and sometimes... Maybe the radio jumps to a song right in the middle of it. Or everybody starts acting a little odd, especially when you come back from what they're calling timeline shifts. This has a lot to do and carries many similarities with interference syndrome, something that takes place in a location I know all too well. SpaceWolfResearch.com, a base camp in the Uinta Basin of Utah. Radios will jump. Technology will buzz. Timelines seem to shift. Batteries are drained. And people act differently. Scientists claim that these factors may just be of a cognitive bias. And if we misremember something, it's easier to think that it has changed, rather than the fact that something was always different. In fact, possibly never the same. Are they just symptoms described by people in ways that they are misremembering? Psychologists seem to have a word for these moments when you seem to step out of sync with reality. They call them derealization. And they believe there's a number of causes for this. 
from harmless causes like being in an altered mental state due to being half asleep or meditating, to more serious causes such as drug use, psychedelics, fever, or an episode of mental illness. Problem is, some of the quote-unquote shifting timelines are things that many in the populace agree upon, such as the ever-so-famous Berenstein Bears, where everything seems to have changed about the cartoon according to what people see and what they remember. Of course, we have Jiffy and versus Jiff, peanut butter. The list of things that are different seem more consistent with a timeline shift and narrative than everybody being wrong about it. And it gets stranger when you get into the megalithic, and by that I mean alternative archaeological narratives. There are synchronicities which land many in Egypt looking at the Great Pyramids, where many see with their own eyes and feel with their own hands objects that should not only not exist in a conventional way, historically, based on our reality and our narrative, but the pyramids and other megaliths of Egypt seem to come from several distinct periods. In other words, the quarrying, transporting, and building of the pyramids is an impressive feat, but there are other megaliths nearby that are mysterious as well and from different Greco-Roman eras, things that are made of limestone blocks weighing several tons and things that researchers claim with difficulty to have been built in different eras. So the question becomes, how are these granite obelisks weighing 300 tons carved from single blocks placed in a different era from another era where the timeline seems to claim it was impossible? So we have multiple timelines, multiple impossibilities. We have... Of course, the Colossi of Memnon, which weighs on the order of 700 tons, probably more, probably 1,000 tons when it was uncarved, quarried from granite 400 miles away. And when you start to consider the stream of time, was it done in the past, present, or future? In other words, is there a relationship where... The past cannot change, but our information about the stream of time in the past in our modern worldview can change. Don't let me get you confused here, because the real issue is not whether ancient civilizations had what we know today as high technology, but just their ability to be able to carve these things out of what may have been diamond-edged power tools with high technology of moving these things around at different timelines, by the way, different eras, it makes sort of a uh, difficult reality for us to understand in our history. These would correspond to the emergence of new kinds of technology today. Miracle technology. Material sciences we may not even have. Even conventional archaeology is now accepting that pre-agricultural society may have had things we are not aware of. When you look at places like Gobekli Tepe, these sites are at least ten to 12,000 years old. And when you think of them in an alternative way, the timeline may have shifted. In other words, they may have been built by technologies that do not exist today. Okay, so there's the archaeological aspect of timeline shifts. But there's more. Speaking with many psychic spies who have connections to the Monroe Institute and other more corporate, highly paying contract jobs and work, it seems that time does not exist when it comes to remote viewing, 
and other capabilities that many of these third-eye spies seem to engage with, keep in mind that controlled remote viewing is actually a process, which is easily learned, it shows amazing results, and it seems to not be affected by space or time. Distance is of no consequence. I recently had a psychic reading that was very, very accurate, and I've had these in the past as well. After the reading, I seemed to realize that timelines and how a psychic can quote-unquote read into the future makes time and space irrelevant. Let me explain. I had a psychic reading by a very amazing psychic. And this was years ago. Not the one I'm talking about, but this was years ago. This was when I first met my wife and we were dating. We were at a food and wine festival down on the Las Vegas Strip. A psychic had flown in from Arizona and she had set up a little booth. I, you know, was dating. And I thought it might be fun while I went and grabbed some food. Hey, sit down. Here's 20 bucks. Get a psychic reading from this fine-looking young woman. And I'll be back in a minute with your food. Well, I gave the psychic the 20 bucks. I went to get the food. I came back. And my wife was shocked. The psychic had told her, and I verified this, that within the month, we would consider moving in together. She went forward into the future and said that we would have two kids for sure. The third was blurry in her words. And that um, we would buy a house together. Keep in mind, we had just started dating. And all of this to take place within 30 days, the part about considering moving in together, seemed totally crazy. I figured it was a horrible waste of $20, but at least we had some warm food and we could carry on for the evening. Luckily, I got the psychic's card. Now, this comes into play later. So, lo and behold, less than 30 days later, she saw a notice on the beautiful home she was renting in a very nice zip code. Everything seemed to be on board. I mean, she was renting it from a doctor, if I'm not mistaken. You would never assume that the the house would have any issues. But there was a notice on the door that the house was in pre-foreclosure. So she was renting the house. Only problem is the owner wasn't making the mortgage payments. She asked me, who I have a little bit of history with real estate, what she should do. Of course, my reaction was, man, you should pack up your stuff. Get out of there. And um, take whatever hit you need to take on the lease agreement because you're paying him rent, but he's not paying his mortgage. And the bank will come knocking and kick you out regardless of whether you're paying your rent or not. So that's exactly what she did. She packed up her stuff. I helped her move. And she moved into her parents' place for just a short period of time. And guess what? We we're already discussing how to move in together. The psychic was right. Now, how could the psychic have known this? Not only that, let's take it a step further. The psychic was right about our two toddlers. We have two children, We and, and the psychic saw a third that was quote-unquote blurry. Well, she was pregnant another time. That pregnancy miscarried, and... That would definitely classify as blurry to me. We did, in fact, purchase a home before we were even married together. So the psychic was right a third time, a fourth time. How? Isn't time and space something in this reality that cannot be manipulated? Well, it doesn't appear so. It seems as if it's malleable to some extent. It's a substance that can be moved around, looked through, debated, and commented on with accuracy. Well, the psychic was so accurate that I often said, gosh, 
I wish I knew, or we would have grabbed a card from that psychic. I couldn't remember if we got a card from the psychic or not. But I sure wished we would have, because her accuracy was incredible. I said this for years. Six years, to be exact. And I had some friends who were in town on a conference, uh, and I was discussing this story. I strangely went upstairs after they had left and I had something to do that evening and I grabbed a sports jacket that I hadn't worn for quite some time. And inside this sports jacket, in the chest pocket, was a card from the psychic from six years before. Now, I don't remember getting a card necessarily from that psychic. I'd always said, gosh, I sure wish I would have. But there it was. Was it a possible apport? I don't know. But lo and behold, I contacted the friends. I said, guess what? I have the card of the psychic of the story we had just discussed. And it seemed oddly synchronistic and impossible. But there it was. Am I 100% sure that I grabbed the psychic's card? No, not really. But an apport in parapsychology and spiritualism is the alleged paranormal transference of an article from one place to another, or an appearance of an article from an unknown source that is often associated with activity that is allegedly paranormal or spiritual. So, when you get an apport, it's literally an object, a material object, that appears almost by psychic means. And it seemed to me that this is what had taken place, or at least the synchronization of the timeline had taken place. I'd been looking for this darn card, which I wasn't even sure existed, for over six years. But then I talk about it with some friends, and I find the card within a day. That sounds pretty coincidental to me. Now, where things get interesting is reality shifting and timeline jumping. And although I've heard that you're always on the best timeline for you, and that your vibration will route you to the correct timeline, apparently... Some people are able to shift timelines and to make decisions which determine the timeline they want to shift to. And there seems to be a form of technology that allows this to be done more easily, or at least in theory. And the subject of technology will become more important as we delve deeper into what people are quoting and calling the Mandela effect, whether it is that or not. But that will come into play here in just a moment. But let's get into the technology for a moment, or at least the theory of the purported technology, and the coincidental nature of the same name for two technologies that seem apparently to be interconnected yet completely unrelated. And I'm talking about none other than the Pegasus Project. There are two. So one is known as The Pegasus Project, of course, which is an international investigative journalism initiative that revealed government's espionage on journalists, opposition politicians, activists, business people, and others using the private Pegasus spyware developed by the Israeli technology and cyber arms company known as the NSO Group. Project Pegasus is ostensibly marketed for surveilling serious crimes and terrorism. Now, in 2020, a target list of 50,000 phone numbers leaked to what's known as forbidden stories. And an analysis revealed that the list contained the numbers of leading opposition politicians, human rights activists, journalists, lawyers, and other political dissidents. A small number of phones that were inspected by Amnesty International's cybersecurity team revealed forensic evidence of the Pegasus spyware, 
something that's known as a zero-click Trojan virus, developed by the NSO group. This malware provides the attacker full access to the targeted smartphone, its data, images, photographs, conversations, as well as camera, microphone, and geolocation. This information was passed along to 17 media organizations under what's now called the Pegasus Project, an umbrella name. Reports started to be published by member organizations on the 18th of July, 2021, revealing notable non-criminal targets and analyzing the practice as a threat to the freedom of the press, the freedom of speech. This was quite literally New World Order, dystopian, crazy criminal activity. Dissidents and democratic opposition grew. On July 20th, 14 heads of state were revealed as former targets of Pegasus malware. Various parties called for further investigation of the abuses and a limitation on trading such representative malware. Now this is where it gets weird. The Pegasus spyware was developed by Israeli cyber arms company NSO Group. It can be covertly installed on mobile phones and other devices running most versions of iOS and Android. It goes to the highest bidder. So the spyware is named after the mythical winged horse Pegasus. It is a Trojan horse that can be sent flying through the air to infect phones. Usages of Pegasus spyware have been monitored for years. Amnesty International argued that the digital invasion is correlated with real-life consequences for spied targets via psychological and physical damages. Interestingly, the NSO group exports are overseen by the Israeli Ministry of Defense, Defense Exports Control Agency known as DECA. The leaked list of targeted phone numbers provided an indication of being quote-unquote, a person of interest, which could quite literally be anyone. If you pay the price, you can get this spyware. And a first indication of possible hacking to be confirmed via direct forensic examination of the phone showed that the Citizen Lab at the University of Toronto independently peer-reviewed a draft of their forensic methodology outlined in How to Catch NSO Group Pegasus. The investigation suggested that Pegasus continued to be widely used by authoritarian governments worldwide to spy on humans, encroaching upon their human rights. It was used against activists, journalists, lawyers, and law firms. NSO claims that this is only intended for use against criminal and terrorists, but that doesn't seem to be the case in any way, shape, or form. A French journalist noted that in a matter of cyber surveillance, we observe the abuse is the de facto rule. And Forbidden Stories argued that Pegasus software and its usages constituted a global weapon. So what exactly is Project Pegasus? How are these heads of state and government being spied upon while others are using it to analyze each other. Well, it seems like prime ministers have been targeted, numerous diplomats, presidents. I mean, this can be used against anyone. You just pay the price, you target their technology, and what comes out is absolutely everything about them. It's almost like Minority Report, that movie where you can find through the data everything this person has done will do, and is doing now. Timelines don't seem to matter. Which brings into view the other Project Pegasus. Former presidential candidate Andrew Basiago claims that Project Pegasus is a time travel experiment which sent him back in time. He claims to have gone to Gettysburg using technology developed from the research of Nikola Tesla. 
Andrew Basiago is a Seattle attorney who has been publicly making the claims since 2004 that between the ages of 7 and 12 years old, he participated in a secret United States government program that worked on teleportation and time travel under a secret Defense Advanced Research Projects agency experiment called, guess what, Project Pegasus, a precursor to the Montauk Project and even the Philadelphia Experiment. So is it coincidence that these have the same name? Can find out anything about you? Well, let's move on. The program, which began in the 1970s, used children, according to Andrew Basiago, in its experiments. Because children could adapt well to the strains of moving between past, present, and future. As one of those time-traveling children, Andrew Basiago says he traveled to Ford's Theater on the night of President Abraham Lincoln's assassination. Not only once, not only twice, but five or six times. And he was captured in a photograph at Gettysburg in 1863. Is it possible? According to Basiago, it is. And he has apparently no reason to lie about this. He says he's experienced eight different time travel technologies throughout the course of the project. But most instances involved a teleporter based on technical papers supposedly found in pioneering medical engineer Nikola Tesla's New York City apartment after his death in 1943. The teleporter which was the technology used, consisted of two gray elliptical booms, about eight feet tall. They were about ten feet away from each other, and between them was a a shimmering curtain of what Tesla called radiant energy, which was some sort of broadcast, Basiago says. This broadcast of radiant energy is a form of energy that Tesla discovered and it seems to be pervasively latent in the universe and has, among its many properties, the capacity to bend space and time. According to Andrew Basiago, he said each of his visits to the past was different. There were little differences, much like the Mandela effect. He says... And I quote, like they were sending us to slightly different alternative realities on adjacent timelines. As these visits began to accumulate, I twice ran into myself during two different visits. Which brings up the entire synchronicity of basically seeing your twin, seeing a doppelganger in the same timeline, and the effects that this may cause. Doppelgangers have long been a mysterious consequence of almost a deja vu-like effect, but we'll get into that in a minute. He had been sent back in time to the same place and moment, but from two different starting points. Therefore, representative of himself, he saw himself. And he allowed two of himselves to be in Ford's theater at the same time, apparently in 1865. In his own words, Andrew Basiago claims, and I quote, After the first of these two encounters with myself occurred, I was concerned that my cover might be blown, he recalled. Unlike the jump to Gettysburg, in which I was clutching a letter to Navy Secretary Gideon Wells to offer me aid and assistance in the event I was arrested, I didn't have any explanatory materials when I was sent to Ford's theater. Basiago's claims are wild. Yet, they are supported by another lawyer, Alfred Weber, a lawyer specializing in exopolitics or the political implications surrounding an extraterrestrial presence on Earth. According to him, he says teleportation and time travel have been around for at least 40 years but they are kept secret and hoarded by the Defense Department instead of being used 
to transfer goods and services. Andrew Basiago ran for president in 2016. A statement on Basiago's campaign website read, and I quote, For 70 years, the U.S. government has been concealing advanced technologies because they might be socially, economically, or technically disruptive in nature. These technologies include the teleportation technology developed by DARPA's Project Pegasus. As we know, DARPA works hand-in-hand with Mossad. Now, they may also include cancer cures. The government should begin a program to declassify and deploy this knowledge. The standard of technical disclosure should be what provides the people the quote-unquote best available technology. This will enable the United States to reclaim its mantle as the world's catalyst of applied science. Now, Andrew Basiago did not become president, but his work as a child during Project Pegasus gave him some interesting insights into the election, since the CIA used the technology to find a brief amount of future presidents, according to some. He claims, and I quote, As for Hillary Clinton, I have no data, Basiago said in 2016. I think it's reasonable to infer that were she a future president, there would have been a pre-ID for her, of her. As for Trump, I have a vague memory that my father took a special note of Trump during an appearance by him on the Phil Donahue show, and might have even commented that he was a future U.S. president. It seems. These are wild claims, in wild times, but the synchronicity and coincidence of the same name, Project Pegasus, Project Pegasus being the quote-unquote best available technology, inferring data of the past, present, and future, well, that That's a synchronicity and a coincidence, which is hard to ignore. And Andrew Bisiago's ability to basically tell who was going to be president, whether it was Clinton or Trump, based on his past memories, seemed pretty impressive, considering just about everybody, including news media organizations, were 100% sure that Hillary Clinton was going to win that election. So he's kind of proven himself there. Now, did he run for president just as a way to get his word out, to get his message out? Many believe so. And that's the assertion. Now, he called himself a chrononaut. And it's not just himself. In fact, a pair of self-proclaimed time-traveling universe-exploring government agents are William Stillings, and Andrew Basiago. He's not alone. They both insist that they once served as what are known as chrononauts. Of course, under the special program and project run by DARPA, they would be traversing the boundaries of time and space, and they swear, interestingly, that a youthful Barack Obama was one of them. That Barack Obama also transversed the boundaries of time and space. It all sounds pretty crazy, I know. But this is one of the theories I absolutely love because we are told that, according to Basiago and Stillings, Obama isn't just lying about his potential identity, but he's lying about his military service record too. Crazy, 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 I know. And while political opponents attacked Barack Obama in 2008 for a variety of other things, they did not attack him about his identity and military service. They were attacking him for other things. According to Espasiago and Stillings, he was, in fact, concealing his participation in a hidden CIA intergalactic program hosted at a California community college in 1980. Far-fetched, I know, but is it as far-fetched as the reality of timeline shifting? Apparently, and I quote, the name Barry Satoro, the 19-year-old Obama, was one of 10 youths selected to 
go to and from Mars. And they were basically using something called the Mars Jump Room. It was a chamber, a way of teleporting. And Basiago, a fellow chrononaut, told the website ExoPolitics that he saw Obama, and I quote, walk back to the jump room from across the Martian terrain. Obama is said to have told Basiago, we're here. Apparently, this is something he remembers. Now, why would they be going to Mars? Well, apparently the CIA wished to establish a defense regime protecting the Earth from threats from space. And if this all just sounds too far-fetched, keep in mind that retired Army Major Ed Dames is alleged to have told a young Obama, and I quote, simply put, your task is to be seen and not eaten. That's a pretty strange quote for a retired Army Major to say. So here we have the coincidence of Project Pegasus, We have more secret government space programs being outlined. And Andrew Basiago claims he was involved in a program from 1969 to 1972 with the main purpose of being to gather intelligence. Very much like the program Project Pegasus coming out of Israel and working with other intelligence communities. We know Mossad and the CIA work hand-in-hand. Now, subsequent to Basiago's involvement in Project Pegasus, he states that from 1980 to 1984, he was recruited into a second CIA-led project that involved this other teleportation technology known as the Jump Room and Jump Rooms, which led him and others to travel to the Red Planet on multiple occasions. He said that they witnessed indigenous life on Mars, as well as secret bases there. This becomes interesting given the fact that Elon Musk is going to purportedly take us to Mars through this circus sideshow of rocketry, which may not be the case at all. Remember that the U.S. government has denied anything relevant about extraterrestrial UFOs for decades, let alone extraterrestrial life especially any life that looks like humans or animals. Now, participants in this secret quote-unquote program were given special assignments. There are others who speak of the same things Andrew Basiago talks about. During an interview on the U.S. mystery program Coast to Coast, The late, great John Lear, a retired CIA pilot, made strong statements regarding the moon, Mars, and the extraterrestrial technology used by NASA. And he said, I quote, There are human colonies on the moon and Mars. Now, this brings me to a release that came out 8-8 of 2000, a Mars exploration which purportedly took place May 22nd of 1984, This was approved for release by the CIA. Apparently, um, I've got some document names and numbers here. 727-101-604-908. A sealed envelope was given to a subject immediately prior to an interview. The envelope was not opened until after the interview. The envelope was a 3x5 card with the following information. The planet Mars. Time of interest approximately 1 million years B.C. They had selected geographic coordinates provided by the parties requesting the information. These coordinates were verbally given to the subject during the interview. Those coordinates are 727-101-604-908. If you're looking for this document, it is CIA-RDP96-00788R. 00190076001-9 Mars exploration Now in the transcript this is basically what took place All right It's yellowish uh ochre colored All right move in time to the time indicated in the envelope I provided you and describe what's happening 
The subject says, I'm tracking. Severe, severe clouds. More like dust storm. Ah, it's geological problem. Seems to be like, ah, just a minute. I've got to iron this out. It's really weird. The monitor says, just report your raw perceptions at this time. You're still early in the session. This is obviously a remote viewing session of some, si some sort, correct? The subject says, I'm looking at an effect of a major geological problem. The monitor says, okay, go back to the time before the geologic problem. The subject says, okay, total difference. There's, I don't know, oh hell, it's like mountains or dirt appear to be, then disappear, then go before. Large flat surfaces, very smooth angles, walls, really large. Megalithic. The monitor says, all right, at this period in time, now, before the geologic activity, look around. In and around this area to see if you can find any activity. And the subject says, I'm seeing it's like a perception of a shadow of people, very tall and thin. It's only a shadow. It's as if they were there and they're not. They're not there anymore. So the monitor says, go back to a period of time when they are there. And the subject says, it's like I get a lot of static on a line and everything. It's breaking up all the time, very fragmented pieces. The monitor says, just report the raw data. Don't try to put things together. Just report the raw data. Subject claims, I see very large people. They appear thin and tall. They're very large, wearing some kind of strange clothes. Monitor says, all right. Now, holding in this time period, holding in this time period, I want you to move from your physical location in space to another physical location. But in this time period, move now to 46.45 north, 353.22 east. That's the geographic location. Move in this time again, and he repeats the coordinates. The subject says, deep inside of a cavern. Not a cavern, more like a canyon. I'm looking up, up the sides of a steep wall that seemed to go on forever. And there's like a structure with a wall of canyon itself, which has been carved. Again, I'm getting very large structures, intricacies, huge sections of smooth stone. The monitor asks, do the structures have insides and outsides? The subject claims, yes. They're very like rabbit warren corners of rooms. They're really huge. I don't feel like I'm standing in one. It's just really huge. Perception is that the ceiling is very high. The walls are very wide. Monitor claims real time plus 22 minutes. Yes, that would be correct. All right. I'd like to move now to another location nearby. All right. Move from this point in time to 45.86 north, 354.1 east. Again, repeats the coordinates. The subject says... They have which what appears to be the end of a very large road. There's a marker, very large, keeps getting Washington Monument overlay. It's like an obelisk. The monitor says, all right, from this point then, let's move to another point. Move now to 35.26 north, 213.24 east. Again, moving this time to and repeats the coordinates. The subject says, it's like I'm in the middle of a huge circular basin of the range of mountains by almost all the way around. Very ragged, ragged mountains, very tall. The basin's very, very large. Scale seems to be off or something. It's just a really big area. Everything's really big. I understand the problem, the monitor says. Just continue. Subject says, I see just a right angle corner to something. That's all. I don't see anything else. Monitor says, okay, let's move to another place, different place, very close. Move to 34.6 north. 213.09 east, moving this time to, and again repeats the coordinates. Subject, which is obviously a psychic spy, says, Okay, the cluster of squares up and down. Um, it's like you want to make them square anyway. They're almost flush with the ground, and it's like they're connected. Something's very white and reflects light. The monitor asked, What's your position of observation as you look at this thing that reflects light? The subject claims, I'm oblique at a left angle. The sun is, uh, it's weird. 
Monitor says, look back down at the ground now, and we're just going to move a little bit from this place, just a little bit from this place, over to 34.57 north, 212.22 east. Again, repeats the coordinates. Subject says, it's like I can just perceive a radiating pattern of some kind. It's like really strange intersecting, kind of like roads are dug into valleys, you know, a road with a little bit below the edge. And the monitor asks, tell me about the shapes. They're really neat channels, very deep, like a road went down. Monitor says, okay. I notice electrically, you're nulled out a little bit, and I want you to stay deep and recapture your focus here. Subject says it's really tough. It seems like it's just always very sporadic. He gives him another direction, 15 degrees north, 198 degrees east. Take some time and get back deep. Subject says, okay. Whatever these are, they are aqueduct-type things. Rounded bottom carved channels like roadbeds. He sends him off to a few other coordinates, specifically 80 degrees south and 64 degrees east, where the subject sees pyramids. Okay, do these pyramids have insides and outsides? Subject says, yeah, got both, and they're huge. It's really an interesting perception. Subject says it's filtered from storms or something. Monitor says, that's again, they're like shelters. That again, subject. Subject says they are like shelters from storms. All right, go inside one of these and find some activity to tell me about. 37 minutes real time. Subject claims different chambers, but they're almost stripped of any kind of furnishings or anything. It's like they're a strictly functional place for sleeping. Or that's not a good word. Hibernations of some sort. Form. I can't. I can't get real or raw inputs. There's savage storms and sleeping through storms. These are the kinds of things that have been approved for release by this CIA document. Let me get to the very, there's a lot more here, but I don't want to bore you. It's just really fascinating. Some of these space pictures and the cosmic um, data that this psychic spy, this subject is getting. But at the end, the subject says, all I get is that they may just wait. Doesn't They don't know who I am. They think he perceives a hallucination or something. This is when one of these entities sees him. Now, having done a lot of deep studying into remote viewing and doing my best to keep a pulse of it, this is exactly what might appear to someone who encounters a psychic spy. And so it's interesting that the subject, obviously this psychic spy who... I have a really good idea who this person is that is outlined in this document, but um, it's best to not disclose that. These are the types of projects that the CIA and DARPA have undertaken. Most of these are still classified and top secret. This particular document has been declassified, so there's nothing wrong with me sharing the information with you. But it's interesting that this Psychic Spy is being asked to quite literally remote view Mars. And the things that he finds are fascinating. So for those who don't believe that the intelligence community, DARPA, the CIA, etc., are interested in analyzing and researching things like this, this is evidence that they very much have and did research these things and most likely still do. It can also only be assumed that any technology which might help further the progress of this research and investigation would be wholeheartedly accepted and experimented with. And you can find all these documents that I've read from uh, CIA.gov, right off of official government websites. Now, the paradox of time travel and the Mandela effect is interesting. Because if the Mandela effect is linked to some of these more bizarre conspiracy theories involving parallel universes, then maybe we need to look at the Mandela effect through the prism of time travel, at least to some extent. Because interference from an alternate reality or a glitch could be proof of time travel itself. Have you ever been convinced that something may have happened which didn't happen? This misremembering 
can be linked to and put into the camp of the Mandela effect. And the reason it's called the Mandela effect is because many, including countless internet sleuths, remember or misremember that Nelson Mandela was dead. In fact, it was very widely believed that he had died in prison during the 1980s. While in our purported reality, Mandela was actually freed in 1990 and passed away in 2013. Now, what's very strange about this is some even remember clips of his funeral on TV. That's where the name Mandela Effect comes from. Well, here we're th- here's where things get a little bit sketchy and interesting. In 2021, two researchers from the University of Chicago, namely Deep Prasad and Wilma Bainbridge, conducted a formal study into the Mandela Effect. As of writing their paper titled The Visual Mandela Effect as Evidence for Shared and Specific False Memories Across People, was in preprint, accepted for publication in the journal Psychological Science. Since there has never been experimental confirmation of the visual Mandela effect, the researchers sought to establish that popular icons elicit consistent and specific false memories. They also tested whether attentional or visual differences drive the phenomenon. To this end, they gathered popular examples of the effect. Participants were asked to choose the correct images they remember, rate how confident they were in their decision, and estimate how familiar they were with the images they were asked about. The study noted peculiar contradiction, stating that their accuracy is surprisingly low given the reported familiarity and confidence people had with these images. One example is C-3PO. Everyone remembers him being gold, but he does have, in our current reality, a silver leg. That's just an example of the things they were researching. Well, anyway, this research led them to five characteristics that must be present in order for something to be considered a quote-unquote Mandela effect, and not just a false memory. The example must have low identification accuracy among subjects, a specific false representation, high consistency in being chosen, high familiarity, and high confidence. Using that particular data, they looked at the interaction between these variables and found an extremely high correlation between familiarity and confidence, but low correlation between familiarity and accuracy, or confidence and accuracy. What this showed is that how well someone knew an image or how certain they were had little effect on whether they picked the right one or not. But the researchers wanted to dig deeper, and this is where the study got weird. For the second experiment, they showed participants the correct image, had them study it, and asked them to choose the right image out of the set. Somehow, remarkably, people still chose the visual Mandela effect image over the correct one. Intrigued, the scientists used what's known as mouse view, a mouse tracking method analogous to eye tracking, to see if the visual processes were to blame. They were able to determine that where people looked on the image and how long they looked did not affect the accuracy. Next, the team turned to Google with the theory being that maybe the most popular images on the internet contain the VME image, and so people are seeing them a lot more than the real thing. But that wasn't the case either. It turned out that the top Google images on the subject in question didn't contain the false Mandela version. Lastly, they decided to test people in a free draw scenario, where they asked participants to draw the character or object in question, such as C-3PO. And people still added in the Mandela effect in their drawings. This made the effect even more confusing, because people weren't just choosing 
the VME image out of a list of options they themselves were creating, the Mandela effect, during recall. Some might be disappointed by the result of the study, but the fact is they couldn't explain the effect only serves to make the phenomenon that much more mysterious. Their research was the first to look at the effect specifically, and the researchers were surprised at how odd the results were, even in a controlled setting. The effect is extremely stubborn, present across many different people, and persists even when someone is shown the correct image as a reference. So where does this tie into time travel? Well, it appears that someone solved the time travel paradox problem. And it may have something to do with the Mandela effect. Basically, if you are a time traveler, and let's pretend you go back into the past, anything you change will essentially, quote-unquote, fix itself in one way or another, just by the very nature of time itself. So, this might explain the Mandela effect and the changes people have witnessed. Mandela effects are usually slight changes, logos, names, etc. And they're just coincidences of someone messing around with the paradox and it is slowly fixing itself. Maybe. This takes longer than some people think. Much like the butterfly effect. And the butterfly effect is something we'll get to in just a moment because it's very important when it comes to these time travel possibilities. Because essentially, the moment you time travel, you're no longer a part of the timeline. Essentially, you've disappeared, right? You jump to a parallel universe or a parallel world or a parallel time and continue on from that point. Whatever point in time you happen to pick and then move forward within the normal flow, the time flow. And it will fix itself according to some. It will not fix itself according to others as the paradox theory goes. The reason some say it will not fix itself is because the way it is now is because you're in a different timeline in a different parallel universe, which altogether affects what you do right now. So the future as you knew it, in fact, is gone if you go back and change anything at all. You may only live forward within a timeline, and you are currently within the parallel world you are in. That's that. So the time paradox will not fix itself. To some, this is the only way time travel has ever made sense. And some believe we will achieve time travel by being able to recognize the parallel strings of the universe, much like string theory. If there is an infinite number of universes, then there is an infinite number of worlds and there is an infinite number of timelines, exactly like ours, but they may have started at different points. So there is also the butterfly effect, which I spoke of earlier which is quite engaging, mainly because in chaos theory, it is the sensitive dependence on initial conditions in which a small change in one state of nonlinear time or time system can result in large differences in a later state. So these changes will change exponentially. The term is close closely associated with the work of mathematician and meteorologist Edward Norton Lorenz. He noted that the butterfly effect is derived from a metaphorical example of the details of a tornado. The exact time of the formation, the exact path the tornado takes, being influenced by minor things such as a distant butterfly flapping its wings several weeks earlier. In essence, that small tiny butterfly flapping its ever-so-thin wings, could essentially begin the cataclysmic force and wind that the tornado would eventually become. And for those of you who don't believe in chaos theory and think this is all super far-fetched, well, Lorenz covered his bases. 
1961, he was running a numerical computer model to redo a weather prediction from the middle of the previous run as a shortcut. He entered the initial condition, 0.506 from the printout, instead of entering the full position, 0.506127 value. The result was a completely different weather scenario. In fact, proving the butterfly effect. So the big question is, is time travel possible? Well, relativity means it is possible to travel into future. Because, as many have known, relativistic events are too tiny to be noticed, but they do affect things like satellites that we use for global positioning systems. The clocks above click faster than the clocks on Earth and must be constantly readjusted, according to scientists. If we didn't readjust them, Google Maps would be wrong about 10 kilometers or 6 miles a day, meaning it is possible to travel into the future. We don't even need a time machine exactly. According to science, we need to either travel at speeds close to the speed of light or spend time in an intense gravitational field. What's odd about that is areas that have high strangeness, such as SpaceWolfResearch.com and many of the ranches in the Uinta Basin of Utah, have intense gravitational fields. Therefore, in relativity, maybe these things are essentially part of the high strangeness. Anyway, going backwards in time might be a little harder. It may not be possible, according to some scientists. Theoretical physicists seem to believe that we have just now realized going forward is possible, but we have insufficient knowledge, or at least insufficient theories, about how to go back. Now, government secret programs may have those theories, may have that knowledge, and may have the calculations necessary, because most of those things are covered under clearances on a need-to-know basis. So, if we were to be able to go back in time, some scientists have come up with a few ideas of how it might be possible. And they have been aware of time travel paradoxes. So, how would you do it? Well, one of the ideas involves a massively long cylinder that spins faster in the manner of a straw rolled between your palms, and that twists space-time along with it. The understanding that this object could act as a time machine, allowing one to travel to the past, only came forward in the 1970s, a few decades after science had discovered a phenomenon called closed time-like curves. A closed time-like curve describes the trajectory of a hypothetical observer that while always traveling forward in time from their own perspective at some point finds themselves at the same place in time where they started, creating a loop, a time loop. Therefore, it is possible in a region of space-time that warped by gravity, time loops into itself. So to simplify that, it's kind of like a massive merry-go-round. As long as you jump in at the right time, you can calculate where in the timeline you will enter and exit. So theoretically, it's possible. And we've all heard of scientists who claim to have broken the calculation for time travel, as well as people who claim they have done it, either in government projects or on their own. So the far-fetched becomes a thing of possible reality. And it may very well have consequences which we perceive to be what has become known as the Mandela Effect. Really quick, if you haven't had a chance to head on over to HeroParanormal.com, you're missing out on a ton of content. You guys on the free feed are missing out on a bunch of the stuff I'm putting out. So head on over to HeroParanormal.com. Don't be scared of that pop-up. That's just the way for you to listen. For the price of a cup of coffee a month, you can access all the content behind the paywall. There's a ton of it. Also, if you're listening via YouTube, please, please, please... Do me the solid, like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. I will most likely never be monetized on YouTube for a ton of reasons, including the truth. But if you like, share, and subscribe, you'll help me bust through that algorithm of control 
the shadow ban is real. Until next time, keep your eyes to the skies, feet on the ground, and don't forget to take a look around. Oh yeah, last but not least, definitely if you have an opportunity, check out our new sponsor. It's actually our own website and our own products. Look at happinessmedical.com. Any purchases, support the podcast, and support our efforts. Thanks again. Time machine, third eye feeling like an evising. Blast off, blast off, blast off, blast off. Come blast off in my time machine, third eye feeling like an evising. Blast off, blast off, blast off.